Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the parables of Jesus. A terrific companion to this teaching is Kevin's best-selling book, Mystery Parables of the Kingdom, available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook formats from Amazon in your area, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Okay, let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Now, we only have about two more uh, Wednesday nights before this uh, term finishes. And so we have uh, three other parables that's including tonight that I want to cover. And for those of you who have not been here over the last number of weeks, or actually the last uh, two terms, uh, we've been sharing together on the parables of the kingdom and uh, working through Matthew, particularly on the parables of the kingdom. And so tonight we come to Matthew chapter 22, and the, uh, the title of this parable is The Man Without the Wedding Garment. The Man Without the Wedding Garment. All right, so Matthew chapter 2, and I'm reading from uh, Old King James here. So verses 1 right through to 14. And those of you who've been following through on the parables of the kingdom, you'll pick up some similar language here that we've been working through together. So Matthew chapter 22 and verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and uh, he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So that the Lord will bless these words to our hearts. How many have had any teaching on this parable over the years? Well, I don't know uh, what you've been taught, and uh, so I trust that you'll listen to what I want to share tonight on this very exciting and interesting parable. Just got a few translations here we want to look at. When I was uh, younger and heard a little bit of teaching on this parable, not too much, I was taught that uh, the, the, the man without the wedding garment, that this was a picture of uh, being invited to the marriage of the lamb and that uh, this man uh, somehow got to heaven without the wedding garment and so the Lord turfed him out. 
how many see that this parable is not applicable to heaven? Because nobody's going to get, I mean, let's, let's just take the old interpretation that uh, uh, all these people get to heaven, the bad and the good, and suddenly the Lord comes along walking in heaven and sees this man out without a wedding garment and says, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he tosses him out of heaven into hell. Well, that's, that's, that's not the teaching of the parable. How many can see that? No one's going to get into heaven and be turfed out. Aren't you glad for that? Some of us are. How many are glad for that? <laughs> All right, so what is the parable really about? That's what we want to look at tonight. All right, now, this is one of those parables, and I want you to sort of, uh, sort of get the setting here. In the, in the last uh, several chapters, the parables we've been looking at have been three vineyard parables. Tonight, we're looking at a marriage parable, and then next week, we're going to be looking at another marriage parable. So I want you to notice the progression that the Lord has here. Three vineyard parables, and now a marriage parable, and then next week we're going to look at the wise and foolish virgins, and that has to do with the marriage. So we've got two marriage parables, three vineyard parables, and two marriage parables. So let's just go back and just confirm that a moment. We've already been through some of this, but Matthew chapter 21, just picking out the uh, high spots, three vineyard parables, now we move into the marriage parables. Okay, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1, which we look at the unusual call at the 11th hour. So verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. So he went through that vineyard parable and uh, the, the receiving of the penny. We spent a couple of Wednesdays on that. Now go over to chapter 22. Chapter 22 and see the uh, second um, kingdom of heaven parable on vineyard and this is in verses 28 to 32. So verse 28 says, But what think ye, a certain man had two sons and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. So we have another vineyard parable there. And then number three, the third vineyard parable we have is in verse 33 of the same chapter. Here another parable, there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about. And then the end of it is that he's going to take the vineyard from them and give it to other husbandmen. So we have three vineyard parables. But now, as you continue, remember, remember chapter 22 was not here when Matthew wrote it. So in verse 45 of chapter 21, And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they got the point. They perceived that he spake of them. And when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And then we have this parable of the marriage. Then chapter 25, we have the marriage uh, the parable of the marriage and the wise and foolish virgins. So how many see the picture? We've got three vineyard parables, and now after the vineyard parable, we have two marriage parables. All right, we're going to touch on the high spots of this, and uh, uh, it's always very challenging to my own heart, as I trust it will be to you. We had to find out what the penny was for the vineyard. Now we need to find out what the wedding garment is relative to the marriage here. All right, now this is another parable that is a... Uh, it's sort of a, a historical and prophetical parable. 
So just think of those words I put together. It's a parable, and yet it's a, it's a historical parable. It has a certain amount of history in it that we're going to be looking at. And it's also a prophetical parable that reaches right from a period of time right through to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the marriage of the Lamb. So let's uh, take some of the thoughts that we have here. And again, I'm going to go to the uh, whiteboard here and uh, see how we go here. All right, if you're taking notes, we're going to superimpose this parable in its time element here. So first of all, we have the king. And in this case, the king is the Father God. Let's listen to it carefully here in uh, verse, uh, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king. Remember, it's a parable, and as we've been working through the parables, we work from part to whole and hold apart and put out all the parts of the puzzle and then bring it together without forcing the parts. So the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king. In this case, the king is the Father God. Okay? The Father God. He is the king. Then the second thing we pick up in that verse is that the king, this certain king, made a marriage for his son. Who is the son? No mistaking about that. So we have the son. And this refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Father God is making a marriage for his son. Why don't you just put down the seed thought that remember Father Abraham made a marriage for his son Isaac and he sent his servant out to seek a bride for his only begotten son Isaac. So the Father God is making a marriage for his son looking for the bride. Okay, so the king here is the Father God and the son uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the king is making a marriage. Okay, so we think of the marriage of Christ and his church. This is a great mystery, Paul says, but we have the marriage of Christ and the church. Now, as the king sends out the invitations, uh, we're told in verse 3, and he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. All right, so now we have the father sending out servants. So I'll put this over here, servants. And we have here three particular invitations. First of all, we'll uh, look at these invitations. And I want you to note the response. And uh, how many of us are married here or have been married? Did you ever send out invitations to your wedding? Uh, did some people refuse to come? A lot of them did. Uh, your mother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, well, Jesus' mother won't refuse to come to this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she just says, the only commandment Mary gave was, whatsoever he says unto you, do it. How many would like to obey the commandment of Mary? Anyway, uh, those of us who are, some of you are a bit slow tonight. Okay. Uh, so, you know, when you send out a wedding invitation, uh, you hope that your friends will come and uh, when they don't respond to your invitation, how do you feel about it? Uh, do you feel rejected? Do you feel, well, I sent them the invitation to come to the wedding, come to my marriage, uh, but they don't come, I don't get a gift or anything. So how do you think the Father God feels about sending the invitation to all mankind? We're going to uh, uh, put the ethnic divisions on this in a moment but all mankind to come to the greatest marriage that the universe will ever witness, the marriage of his son Jesus to his bride, the church. 
I want to be at that marriage, don't you? Just put down Revelation chapter 19 in connection with that thought. I have to watch, I don't get uh, onto too many tributaries here, but Revelation 19, and you can put down verses 6 through to, uh, or 6 and 7 just for now. No, 6 through to 9, I'll read it while I'm here. So, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 through to 9, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. You've got two thoughts there, the marriage and the marriage supper. Now the bride is not called to the marriage supper. She's at the marriage. She's at the supper by her own right. So let us be glad and rejoice, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. But then we have those who come to the marriage supper. There are two distinct thoughts there. People are invited to the marriage. The bride is there at the marriage by her own right. But people are invited to the marriage supper. All right, now here we see the certain king, the father who made a marriage for his son, and the son is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he sends out the servants to the invitation, uh, to give the invitations. Now, in verse 3, 4, and um, verse 8 and 9, we have three invitations. Now, let's use our famous line. How many know that that is a very important line by now? And how many know everything hangs on that line? <laughs> now, in the Old Testament, God the Father as the king had in mind a marriage for his son. That's been right in the eternal purposes, the eternal counsels of God. And so God sent forth his servants, the prophets, servants, over the years, his prophets and his priests and the ministries and sent forth his servants to the nation of Israel. And he wants to have a marriage for his son. And so we can superimpose here right through to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll try and make sure we've got enough room here. Verse 3 is the first invitation the first call, the first invitation, okay? The first invite to the marriage. So listen to the language of it. And he sent forth his servants to call them which were bidden to the wedding. Now remember in our last week's parable, or the week before, there was a call that was to call, uh, come into the vineyard and reap the harvest, those unusual call at the 11th hour. But now this is a call not to the vineyard, this is a call to the marriage, so the first call. And uh, what was their response? They would not come. Absolute refusal to respond. Jesus said, you will not come to me that you might have life. So they heard the call, they heard the invitation to the marriage, but they just wouldn't come. That's it. They, they, they didn't accept the invitation. So that's the first response. 
All right, second response is in verse 4, again he sent forth other servants. So we have other servants here. They want to take this right through to the Lord Jesus Christ and right through to other servants now. So all through the Old Testament and right on into the New, when the Son came, the servants of God, the prophets, the priests, the saints, the judges, all servants of God, calling to Israel, inviting them, because God had in mind a marriage for his son. And so in verse 4, we had the second call. The second invitation, again, he sent forth other servants, saying, and he goes to the same people, you'll notice again, the one put down here, Israel and Jewry. Because over all the years, God was calling to his own. Uh, why don't you just uh, hold that and let me turn to a verse and put this down for your notes because there's such a, a principle here. John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse uh, 11 and 12. Such a principle here. So the, the invitation goes to Israel, goes to Jewry, the first call, the second call. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden. I've already given you the call. I've already bidden you to the marriage of my son. Tell them which are bidden. Look, I've prepared my dinner. Everything's on the spit. Everything's ready to go. Uh, my oxen and my fatlings are killed. Come, and all things are ready. Come to the marriage. So he's calling them to come, but they would not come. So listen to what John says, John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, and this is in principle. He came unto his own... And the Lord always comes to his own. He came to his own people. He always comes to the church first. Before he goes to the world, he comes to the church first. He came unto his own. But what's the response? His own received him not. But what's the, what happens then? But as many as received him, to them gave he power. And that's all. Be, every revival through church history, God comes to his own. Generally, his own receive him not. But to those who do receive, he gives power to become the sons of God. So that's our whole principle. So we have the second invitation, the second call. And what's the response? He said, all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But what's their attitude now? It's just an attitude of indifference. And, uh, and in fact, it says they made light of it. The Amplified puts it this way. Amplified says, Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, Behold, I have prepared my banquet. My bullocks and my fat calves are killed, and everything is prepared. Come to the wedding feast. But they were not concerned and paid no attention. They ignored and made light of the summons, treating it with contempt, and they went away, one to his farm and another to his business. So that's the response. They made light of it and went their way. Look, we're too busy. We're not interested in the marriage. We've got too much to do. I've got a farm. I've got merchandise, I've got my business to look after, so a whole attitude of indifference. All right, now, what's the response in verse 6? The remnant took his servants and entreated them, and entreated them spitefully and slew them. So now, in verse 3 and 4 and 5, here, verse 6, we see that there's just hostile, hostility here, just absolute opposition. 
They uh, took the servants and entreated them spitefully. And we think of the prophets and the judges and the priests that were persecuted and stoned and everything like that by their own people. And so, the result was that they uh, rejected the call. Now, what does the king do about this? How does the Father God, who sent out the invitations to his own people, the marriage for his son, how does he feel about it? Now, let's take a little bit further. So, when Jesus came as the son, he gives the invitation. And so, we could put down Jesus uh, in the Gospels. In the Gospels, we have the invitation going out. And then in the book of Acts, under the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the apostles, also, it's still to the Jew first, to the Jew first, to his own. So in the book of Acts, we see the apostles and the early church going out. And always to the Jew first, but they reject it. Now, listen to verse 7, because verse 7 is the key to the time element. And when the king heard this, or heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers, very strong language here now, and burned up their city. How many can see where that brings you to? So, 40 years later, after the crucifixion, down to AD 70, what did the Father God allow to happen? He sent forth the Roman armies, which now become his instruments for judging these people, the Roman armies, and what did the Titus and the Roman armies do? They burnt the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. How many see that? So, so when the king heard this, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies to destroy those murderers and burn up their city. Uh, why don't you put down in connection with this a verse from Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, I'm sorry, haven't got time to amplify this too much. But uh, Acts chapter 7 and verse 51 through to 50, 53, Stephen is speaking before the Sanhedrin and he uses a very strong word that I can't sort of uh, amplify too much but just say, say a particular thought. So he says, "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do ye. How many can see why Stephen got, never got his credentials? Which of the fathers, have, uh, which of the prophets, the servants, have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. Now let me just briefly say this. Back under the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice for anybody who was guilty of manslaughter. Manslaughter, which was killing somebody ignorantly, innocently, not intentionally. But there was no sacrifice for anybody who was guilty of deliberate, willful murder. Now, for some of the people in Jewry, the crucifixion of Christ was manslaughter. And that's why Peter said to the people, you did it ignorantly. And there was a sacrifice for that cities of refuge. But when they talked to the Sanhedrin, the council, Stephen uses the strong word, murderers. There's no sacrifice for that. 
So the crucifixion was manslaughter for some, but it was murder for others. So when the words are used here, it's uh, very significant. So he destroyed those murders, the religious leaders of the tribes and the Pharisees, and all those religious leaders who held the people captive and sewed up the veil after God had rented at the, at the crucifixion, the veil to hide it from the people that access had been given to them. And so in AD 70, after 40 years' grace, and the invitation had gone out through Jesus, the prophets, Jesus, now the early apostles, and in AD 70, 40 years later, he destroys the city, and he destroys those murders and burn up their city. Now what happens in verse 8? Then said he to his servants, so now we've got some more servants. We're getting the early apostles who are now going to turn from the Jews and they're going to go to the Gentiles. And that's what Paul says. We came to the Jew first, but you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. So we turn from you, for the Lord commanded us, and lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So listen to verse 8. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, very significant that it was Rome, who built highways right through the Roman Empire that made way and, and sort of prepared for the going out of the gospel into the various nations that were under the uh, dominion of the Roman, the Roman kingdom. And they were noted for their highways in which Roman armies uh, marched along and Greek uh, trade routes and business and so forth, the highways. So go out into the highways now. In other words, leave the city of Jerusalem, which has now been destroyed, and go out into the highways in every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation, into all the nations. That's what he's saying. And as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. So now the call goes out to the Gentiles. Come to the marriage. There's a marriage on. Down this end of the age, there's going to be a marriage. The marriage of Christ and his church. So the invitation goes out. So, what's the response? So those servants, and this, this part of the parable just goes right over the church age, right to the second coming of Christ when uh, it says in Revelation, Rejoice for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So in this period of time, the call is going out, he's preparing a bride. Okay, so the call goes out here, all right? So go you therefore into the highways and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants, so servants can include all ministries and all believers who are sending out the gospel invitation there's a marriage coming, Christ and the church, the great mystery Paul talks about, the marriage of Christ and his church. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, and this is interesting, both bad and good. The goodies and the baddies. How many have heard that thought before in some other parable? And the wedding was furnished with guests. So now here... We have the guests, good and bad. So it didn't matter whether they were bad or good, whether they were moral or immoral, whether they were religious or irreligious. The invitation went to the bad sinners and the good sinners. Now, all sinners, uh, good or bad, didn't make any, the invitation count. So we have a, quite a good response from the Gentiles. Now you come to verse 11, and uh, when the king came, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man 
which had not on a wedding garment. So now we're getting to the real issue of the thing, the wedding garment. So he didn't have on a wedding garment. As we've said before, you can't apply this parable to heaven and say people are going to get into heaven without a wedding garment and get, then get tossed out. No, this is a parable that applies to this end of the age, as uh, we'll see. So when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on, and I want you to listen to if, if you got the old King James, this word not, very interesting word. Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? There's two different Greek words for not here. I want, I want to read you something from G. Campbell Morgan. Very interesting. So, and he was speechless. In fact, he amplified, what does it say there? It says on that part where he was speechless, verse 12, he was muzzled and gagged. He was speechless. How did you come in here without the wedding garment? Now, let me read to you from uh, G. Campbell Morgan on this point. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but uh, this was interesting. Matthew says, The king saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Then he said, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? The little word not appeared twice over but it is not the same word on those two occasions. The first word, the Greek is O-U-K, simply marked a fact. He had not it on. But when the king asked him the reason, Jesus used a slightly different word for not, which is M-E in the Greek, may, which suggested not merely the fact that he lacked the wedding garment, but that he, that he did so definitely of his own thought and will and intention. And when the man came in not having a wedding garment and the king talked to him, he said, it is not only a fact that you have not a wedding garment, you did not intend having one. Your knot is the knot of definite willing. You are determined not to have it on. Your presence in here is the supreme sign of your rebellion against the order set up of which this marriage feast is the great symbol. And he was speechless. He had nothing to say. How many think that's very interesting? So here's the thought. The king comes in and he sees the man and he doesn't have a wedding garment. Full stop. So he asked him the reason, why, why don't you have a wedding garment? And, and, and because of our Western mind, we are so often robbed of these things, we have to read this through Eastern custom. And I'll tell you the custom that sort of opens this up for us here. So it's not the fact he didn't have a wedding garment, but why haven't you got one? Because here's the custom. Let me uh, read this to you. When the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Him he addresses, though mildly, for it was yet to be seen whether he could explain his conduct. Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment, but he was speechless? Now listen to the key to it. Then we'll bring the application. We must always have proper interpretation before application. It was part of the state of wealthy persons in the East 
to have great store of costly dresses laid up. Chowden says, the expenditure of the king of Persia for presents cannot be credited. The number of dresses which he gives is infinite. His wardrobes are always full of them. They are kept assorted in warehouses. We know, moreover, that costly dresses were often given as honorable presents, marks of a special favor, and that they were then, as now, the most customary gifts, and that upon marriage festivals, gifts were distributed with the largest hand. If the gift was one of costly raiment, it would reasonably be expected that it should be worn at once to add to the splendor and glory of the festal time. Not to say that the rejection of a gift or the appearance of a slight put upon it is ever esteemed as a contempt of the giver. But this guest was guilty of a further affront in appearing in the festival in mean and sordid apparel. He did not feel he had anything to say for himself. He was speechless. Literally, his mouth was stopped. He stood self-condemned. Let me just read to you from the paraphrase here, the Living Bible, and it puts it this way, then I'll comment here. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the wedding robe provided for him. Friend, he asked, how does it happen that you are here without a wedding robe? And the man had no reply. Now, here's the picture. In most Eastern weddings, when people were invited to a marriage or a wedding, when they came to the door, they were offered a free wedding robe. This man rejected it. So when the king came and said, he saw a man there that didn't have a wedding robe, so it was not only the fact that he didn't have a wedding robe, he thought, well, maybe he slipped in the back door, maybe he was a gate crasher. I'll just ask him, what's the reason? Friend, how come that you got in not having the wedding robe? And he was speechless, he had no answer, because he had refused the robe that was offered him at the door. How many see the point? Now, let me just give you scriptures because our time's almost gone, as usual. I want you to turn over to uh, a couple of scriptures here. Let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. So, how many have received an invitation to the marriage of Christ and the church? Amen. How many have responded to the invitation? How many think you're going to get in without the wedding robe and get tossed out? Okay, turn over to a couple of scriptures here. Isaiah chapter 61. Let's look at a couple of scriptures uh, on, uh, on this about the robe. Isaiah chapter 61. What a beautiful picture we have. The wedding robe is provided free just for the acceptance. But this guy wanted to get in his dirty old robe. Just as an aside here, it sort of amazes me today, even at weddings, back in my generation, back in the dark ages, most people, when they came to a wedding ceremony, let alone the, uh, the, the, the wedding reception, they generally dressed up. But I notice a terrible decline in attendance at weddings today, that people come in dirty old jeans, dirty old clothes, from work, and just look right and think, would you do that to this? Yeah. I had to rebuke one young man in America once. I said, you expect me to take your wedding and be dressed up nice, and on your wedding day, you dress up in your best suit, and you have your bride dressed up in white, looking all beautiful, and yet you turn up to other students' weddings 
in your work clothes looking like a... No, I didn't say hobo. That's Australian, isn't it? But, you know, I use an American word that starts with C. Okay, let's uh, go to the Bible here. Isaiah chapter 61. Where's my scripture? Listen to verse uh, 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of what? The garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of salvation and righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Let us be glad and rejoice, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and the bride hath made herself ready, and uh, to her was granted freely, gratis, grace. She should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And this man had refused the garment at the door and snuck into the wedding. Okay, listen to verse 3, the latter part, or the middle part. Uh, to appoint unto them in more, uh, that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So no chance of getting spiritually cold if you've got the garments of salvation on, you've got the robe of righteousness on, and you've got the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. How many think that should keep you spiritually warm? All right, one other scripture here on this point, then we have a couple of other thoughts to throw to you. Psalm 132. Psalm 132, which uh, repeats similar thoughts from what we've read in Isaiah. Psalm 132, verses 8 and 9. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. And then uh, verse 16, I will clothe her priests with salvation. So clothed with salvation, clothed with righteousness. The garment, the wedding garment. Salvation internally and righteous behavior externally. Now let's go back to the parable. So the whole message here is that the Jew hung unto their old, dirty old robes, wanted to get in like this man, hung unto his old working garments, his old sordid clothing, and would not discard his clothing and let the, law, let the, 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 the man at the door say, discard your old clothes, your work clothes, your garments of unrighteousness. I'll give you the wedding robe that will make you acceptable before the king and in the marriage of the son. He, he refused it. Now let's go back to Matthew ch uh, chapter 22 and I can only say the statement here and not qualify it at the moment because our time's up. Now what's the response to this man without the wedding garment that's offered freely as the, as the Father offers to all of us the garment of righteousness, garment of salvation, robe of righteousness. What's the response of those people uh, 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 of the Father to those people who reject it. And this man willfully, deliberately rejected. it. said, no, I'm good enough as I am. I'm just going to go in like I am. Self-righteous. Verse 13. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot. Bind him. I can only say the seed thought here. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Bind him. Also, Matthew's already talked about binding in chapter 16 and chapter 18. Now we have an illustration of it, another illustration. So number one, bind him hand and foot. Number two, take him away. And number three, cast him 
into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here it is again, what we had on our last parable a couple of weeks ago. For many are called, but few are chosen. So we're linking up with the vineyard parable. Now, we haven't got time to explain this, but I want to show you that outer darkness is not hell. Might be a shock to you. All the outer darkness parables were spoken to Christians. I just want to put this on the overhead without interpreting too much because our time's through. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said the, the Pharisees and that would be cast into outer darkness while the harlots and the drunkards would come in. Matthew 24, 22, the man without the wedding garment is cast into outer darkness. Matthew chapter 24, the evil servant is cast into outer darkness. Matthew 25, the foolish virgins with no oil, we'll be picking this up next week. The, the, they went to, the wise went into the marriage and the door was shut. But the foolish, you mean they got in heaven? No, 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 these pertain to earth. The foolish went in and the door, the, the, the foolish went up and the door was shut. They were shut out from the marriage. Matthew 25, the man who didn't use his talents was put into darkness, out of darkness. Luke chapter 12, we had the same thing again. I want you to go to our last verse here before we finish, Revelation chapter 11. Remember what Jesus said about the salt? Another one you can add to your list by the turning of Revelation 11. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost his savour, it is good for nothing but what? To be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Listen to Revelation chapter 11 and the implications in here. Verse 1 and 2. And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise, measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, You've got marginal reference there, is literally cast out and measure it not. So some things are measured, some things are not measured. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. It'll give you a little inkling of what outer darkness is in this end of the age for these kingdom of heaven parables. Whatever you may think it is, I don't want to be cast there, do you? I want to have on the garment. Let's all stand. Our time is up. Father, we just pray that you'll take the word that we've shared tonight. May it indeed fall upon the good ground of our hearts. And Father, we just thank you for the tremendous invitation that you've given us to be at the marriage of your son. And Lord, that we, sh we just cannot come to you or into your presence in our own dirty rags of our own self-righteousness, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. But we thank you, Lord, that as we come to the door, you provide us beautiful garments, garments of salvation, robe of righteousness, garment of praise. And Father, help us to be willing to lay aside our own self-righteousness and our own filthy garments and accept the wedding robes that you provided for us for that great day. 
seal this word to our hearts, help us to meditate upon it. There's so much there, Father. Help us to serve you faithfully until Jesus comes. And all God's people said, Amen. Take hands with each other. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you on the weekend. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.